Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, the Word of God says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house was joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God that we've read. It's powerful. It's alive. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And Lord, we're grateful that we have it. And I pray that you would use the Holy Spirit and apply the Word of God to each of our hearts and lives in a way that will not only encourage us and teach us, but would change us and shape us, Lord, so that as we leave here, we can be more like Thee and more profitable for Thy kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> and so, what a powerful story that we've read here from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, of course, the prototype missionary, a traveling around, taking the gospel. We're going to learn something here today about the Apostle Paul. And what we've just read is a turning point in his ministry and a very powerful one. And we're going to use this as a backdrop to teach us a lesson that I've entitled the message today, Increase Your Vision. Increase Your Vision. We must increase our vision. We've talked a lot this year about having a vision. And without a vision, the people perish. And the importance of a vision and what a vision means to you and to the church and those things. But today, if you have a vision, and I hope all of you do, uh, that you would pray about increasing your vision. And we're going to see where the Apostle Paul had his vision challenged, where God came into his life and said, I'm going to change the focus of your ministry. And I'm going to have you do something that's never been done. I'm going to have you try something that's never been tried. And the Apostle Paul had his vision increased and became the great apostles to the Gentiles. 
as we see here. So as we picked up the story, Paul was ministering in Macedonia. He had come over to Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a bustling city full of beauty, but full of wickedness. And as his manner was, Paul was preaching the gospel on the streets and in the synagogues. He had gotten a job while he was here to help take care of himself. He was waiting on the rest of his crew to come over from Macedonia. And we know that he had the ability to make tents among all of his other abilities. He could easily get jobs here and there making tents. And he found a man here, Aquila, and the famous uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, that's mentioned elsewhere in scriptures is great help to the work of God. Uh, these were business people that uh, really were an encouragement to the Apostle Paul and became a great help to the work of God. And let me tell you, just because you're not called to the ministry doesn't mean you're not important for God's work. Uh, we need business people. We need uh, blue-collar workers that go to work every day, but they're, fo- they're not getting up every day to, to uh, make a living. They're getting up every day to make a difference. We need business people that, that know how to organize and, and make money and, and, and create opportunities, but they're just not doing that to see how rich they can become. They're also using the gifts and talents to help the kingdom of God. And here Paul aligns himself with Aquila and Priscilla, and as he's working with them, he would also take time during the week, and here specifically verse 4 talks about every Sabbath he would go to the synagogue. A synagogue was a place where the Jews would gather. You had the temple in Jerusalem. The synagogues were places scattered throughout different uh, neighborhoods and and communities. And that's where the Jews would go on the Sabbath, and they would have social time and teaching time. And so uh, the way these synagogues worked is if you had a word to say and you were qualified, they might call you up from the floor and you could give up and, and give a talk. And, of course, the Apostle Paul was immensely qualified as a Jew. I mean, he was a Jew of the Jews. Uh, taught by Gamaliel himself and had the best training uh, before he had become a Christian. And so he would get up and begin to reason in the synagogues with the Jews, and uh, sometimes the Greeks would come as well, but they would be there, and he would begin to preach and teach Jesus Christ. And he wouldn't just talk about Moses and Jehovah and the Old Testament law. He would talk about the things of God. And here the Bible says that he began to testify to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And remember, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ is an office. It's a, a Hebrew word, or a Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And it means this is the one who God had anointed to come and save us from our sins. And so he was reasoning that Jesus was Christ. And of course, he was a powerful orator. He was a great preacher. And the Jews, since they couldn't fight the wisdom of his words, they would often fight him. And even try to kill him. And so he faced all kinds of, of opposition. And we see Paul preaching and teaching the gospel here in Corinth. He was preaching to the Jews and the Greeks. If you read the scripture, the end of verse 4, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Now see, the apostle Paul was a everybody can get saved kind of guy. He just preached the gospel to everybody. Now, the Jews had learned through the testimony of God and and through Revelation and through the example of Peter uh, in Acts chapter 10, whenever Peter won the first Gentiles to the Lord and God put the stamp of approval that, no, you're supposed to be taking the gospel to the Gentiles as well. Remember, the Jews were very bigoted. And uh, they were, they were uh, very separated from the Gentiles. And they, they thought the Gentiles 
couldn't have their God unless they jumped through all kinds of hoops. But no, the gospel was for the Jew and the Gentile. And Peter had one Cornelius and his family. And then uh, the other disciples learned that the, the Gentiles could be saved. However, their main focus was still to the Jews. They would go out trying to reach Jews, and if Gentiles got saved, that was good. But it wasn't the focus of Paul's ministry. It wasn't the focus of Peter's ministry. It was They were going after the Jews, and if the Gentiles got saved, praise the Lord, but there was no effort really to go after them specifically. But here we find God challenging the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul changing the focus of his ministry. Look at verse 6. And when they, that's the Jews, opposed themselves and blasphemed. Boy, there's a lot of blasphemy going on against God today. A lot of blasphemy against Christ today. And we see that when they blasphemed, the Apostle Paul finally got so angry, he got so fed up that he shook his raiment and he said, your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. He said, I've tried to tell you the truth. I'm blameless. I'm guiltless. If you die and go to hell, it's not going to be my fault. I've tried to help you. But then he said, from henceforth, I will go into the Gentiles. Now, you've got to understand this had never been done before. It had never happened that there was a ministry and a preacher, especially an apostle, who was changing the focus and saying, you Jews, as much as I want you to be saved, I'm done with you. Now I'm going after the Gentiles, and if the Jews want to get saved, praise the Lord. But I'm going after the Gentiles. Now we know Paul loved the Jews. We know he wanted them to be saved. Romans 10.1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. In another portion of Scripture, he said, I could wish that I myself were accursed. He said, I would almost be willing to go to hell for you if you would just get saved. I mean, he loved the Jews, but he said, I'm not going to spend my life beating my head against a wall trying to reach people that don't want the Savior. And in an act of incredible faith, he changed the focus of his entire ministry to reach the Gentiles. Now, we believe this was of the Lord. This was not a rash decision. I personally believe the scripture doesn't say this, but in my spirit, I believe that God had been working with the Apostle Paul to focus more on the Gentiles. And he was resistant. And why wouldn't he be? That nobody had ever done this before. God had been working on his heart and, and pushing him a certain direction. And finally, he said, you know what? I'm going towards the Gentiles. We know it was of the Lord. Romans 11 Verses 13 and 14 says, For I speak unto you Gentiles, inasmuch that I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. So he said, he said, God has called me to be the apostle of the Gentiles. So this is that turning point. When you see uh, Paul becoming an apostle, just trying to reach the Jews, and then if the, the, the Gentiles got to say, praise the Lord. But now he said, no, he, he stepped into that calling, that I am the apostle of the Gentiles. And here he says, I magnify my office. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, I, I had to do something that had never been done. I'm not going to apologize for it. And if you know the New Testament, you see sometimes even people like Peter would still get caught up in the old traditions. And <clears throat> there was a time when 
Peter was preaching and reaching Gentiles, but then Jews from Jerusalem came. And then when they came, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and just started eating with the Jews. Because he was still under that peer pressure of, you know, as much as we're thankful you Gentiles can get saved, you're not a Jew. And uh, the Apostle Paul confronted him on that and said, no, no, no. If, if, if God has given them entrance into the kingdom of God, then we need to treat them as if they are the children of God. And that's why I love in, in Romans, <coughs> the word of God says that there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Yes, we're all sinners, but we all can be saved the same way and have the same benefits and privileges of salvation. You know, when I look at this story, I see the Sometimes God will allow us to become frustrated in our own will, so we will submit to His. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened where you feel like you know what God wants you to do, but boy, you're just pushing back? And it's not because you don't love God. It's not because you want to be rebellious. It's because He's asking you to do something that's incredibly uncomfortable. Maybe nobody in your family's ever done it. Maybe nobody... You, 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 this is all brand new to you, or, or maybe your life's pretty good right now, and He wants you to take a, a step of faith. <coughs> but sometimes God will allow us to become frustrated. He said, okay, I'm going to give you a little time there, but what you're going to find is the frustration builds until you submit to God. Amen. And when you submit to God, that frustration melts away, and you find the joy in doing the will of God. And this ministerial change was a great challenge of faith to Paul. Remember, no one had a ministry that focused solely on reaching the Gentiles. That he was the apostle of the Gentiles. Imagine the apostle Paul thinking through all the normal human feelings. Would this even work? Would he be a flop? How would they respond? What would his friends think? All of those things that, 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 that paralyze you and I. How would this even work? But we find that he made the step of faith finally, and he changed that. And then, I love this, he was so frustrated that he went out and knocked the next door he saw. And by the way, that's a good thing to do. Uh, you ever get really frustrated in your life? Just go, just go soul winning. Just go find somebody to talk to about Jesus. It's amazing how that problem diminishes when you're looking for someone to talk to about the Lord. If you're ever out soul winning and someone's mean to you, they, they yell at you, they slam the door in your face, they tell you, get off my lawn, whatever, uh, then go to the next several houses right around there uh, because uh, the devil might be trying to discourage you and someone right near there might need the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul, he had just gotten so frustrated, he storms out of the synagogue, and then look at verse 7, and he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was joined hard, against the synagogue. So he walks out the synagogue, goes next door, and begins talking to Justice about Jesus. And then we see Crispus, who is the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. So praise the Lord, there's still Jews getting saved, but that was no longer Paul's focus. He was going after the Gentiles, uh, specifically. And then I love in verse 9, the Lord comes to Paul with a vision in the night. Let's look at it. Then spake uh, the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Why would he have to say that? Imagine the Apostle Paul going to bed that night. He just ruined his ministry. 
All he'd ever known was the Jews. He grew up as a Jew. He was a Jew of the Jews. He loved them. How many times has he prayed, begging God to save them? Weeping and crying and fasting, hazarding his own life to save his own countrymen. And now he knew that his ministry had just changed. And he was afraid. That ever happened to you? When something happens in your life or God shakes you out of the comfort of your nest and now there's fear. How's this going to work? What do I do next? God came to Paul and said, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Why? For I am with thee. You know, it's a good day when we get to the place where we realize really all we need is God. The biggest need of your life's not more money. It's not more friends. It's not more stuff. The biggest need of your life is God. And God said, for I am with thee. And then he protects him and puts protection on him and, and specifically for this city. says, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. So you've got to understand, this was real for the Apostle Paul. His life was in danger. His life was in danger. The Jews wanted to kill him for preaching Jesus. The Gentiles wanted to kill him for ta- pulling people away from their false gods. And all the, the Roman gods that were so worshipped and all the, the, the craziness that went along with that and not worshipping Caesar as a god. He had people on both sides now wanting to kill him. And Corinth was a wicked city. I mean, it was a, it was a sailing town. It was a lot of rough people, some old salty dogs that they didn't put up with anything. I mean, they were a rough crowd. And God came to him and said, Paul, I need you to increase your vision. And I'm proud of you for taking steps of faith. But I want you to know I'm with you. And see, we can increase our faith if we realize that if God's with us, we can do anything. We can go anywhere. We can accomplish any task. We can withstand any foe if God is with us. This vision increased Paul's faith. He ended up staying in Corinth for a year and a half. If you look at verse 11, he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And so he was there teaching the word of God and preaching the word of God. And the the church of Corinth came out of this. And we hear about, we read in the Bible about 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, letters to the church at Corinth that came out of the Apostle Paul's ministry here. Now, We use this story as a backdrop to transition to our lives. There will be many times in our lives that God will ask us to do things outside of our comfort zone. You ever been there? And don't get mad at God when He nudges you and sometimes shoves you to do things. Because He's doing it for our own good. How many of us have ever resisted the Lord but then you... You finally give in and you look back sometime later and you're like, wow, Lord, thank you so much that I I made that change. Thank you. That was truly a turning point in my life. And so perhaps it's it's a new ministry. 
Perhaps it's God wants you to step out. And you're like, I could never be a teacher. And God says, I want you to teach. I could never work with kids. I want you to work with kids. I could never drive a bus. I want you to drive a bus. I could never go soul winning. I want you to go soul winning. <coughs> God might push you into new work for him that you don't think you could do. Perhaps it's a new job, a new job opportunity, or, or your job's gone. And now you've got to find a new one. Perhaps it's a new child coming along, and you're like, Lord, I thank you for this baby, but how are we going to pay for this? And uh, we're having trouble putting food on the table already. Uh, all of those things. Perhaps it's family situations. Maybe your family needs to take the next step. Maybe you need to take the next step of truly leading your family as a man who's following Christ or being the lady that God wants you to be or being the young person that God wants you to be. Maybe it's a teenager going to school and now you've got Christ in your life and, and, and you're saved and you don't want to go with the old crowd anymore and there's such a pull to go to the parties and do the drugs and go to the dances and all that, all that kind of stuff that pulls you that, that fleshly direction, but, but you want to serve God and maybe it's, it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's a matter of sin and righteousness. Maybe you've got sin in your life that's been in your life for a while and it's like a security blanket but God comes to you and says I need that out of your life or perhaps I need you to start praying every day I need you to start reading your Bible every day I need you to start going to church more often you know there's countless ways where God can push us and urge us and really obedience is also a matter of vision because if you were if you were seeing it right, if you were seeing it like God sees it, it would be easier for you to take that step. But because we're stuck in our old way of thinking and we see things from our own perspective, sometimes we see even the thing God wants us to do as negative. When if we could increase our vision, we could see the wisdom of it from his point of view. So we, we must increase our vision in order to get to the next level of God's will. So I want to just give you three thoughts today under this idea of increase your vision. And hopefully this will be a blessing to you. And they're very simple, very simple, but hopefully a blessing. Let me say, number one, <clears throat> God is powerful. You say, preacher, why should I increase my vision? God's powerful. He can do more than you can imagine he can do. Yo, preacher, I know God's powerful. No, he's more powerful than that. Well, I think God can do anything. He, he can do more than that. <clears throat> I mean, he's beyond our imagination what he's capable of doing. And sometimes it's pretty crazy. We think God can save our soul, but he can't pay our bills. And we think God can, can take us to heaven someday, but he can't protect us today. And so we have to translate that, that eternal faith in our soul and in heaven. We have to translate that to our daily life in a real living faith. Living by faith today. Uh, do the kids hear us grump and groan or do they hear our faith in God? Do they hear us complain <clears throat> or do they hear us say, you know what, this is a problem, but God's going to take care of it. Does the spouse just hear all the problems or do they believe that you really do trust God? And so uh, do, do the, the people at work and the boss, do they understand that you are a Christian? Not just because you walk in the doors on Sunday and punch a time clock, but because you're trying to live by faith every single day in Almighty God. See, God is powerful. He's powerful. Mark 9, 23 says, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. What an amazing verse. God says, I can do anything. The problem is you're having trouble believing. 
And when we realize that God is powerful, then that helps us be able to believe. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. Luke one thirty seven. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Think about that. You say, preacher, I'm going through an impossible situation. Oh, it's impossible for you. Not impossible for God. If you've got your eyes on you, you're in trouble. If you put your eyes on God, everything's okay. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Great verse in the Bible. Everybody ought to have this verse memorized. Ephesians chapter 3. And look at verse 20. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is what? Able. Able Able to what? To do. To do what? Exceeding. Abundantly. Above. What's the next word? All. Now think about that. Those are a lot of adjectives. (laughs) You know. God's trying to come up with enough adjectives to teach us that God's ability is so much greater than what you and I consider it to be. Even though you and I might say, yeah, I think God can do anything. We might know that mentally. We might know that as a fact, but do we live that way? And so he says, I know now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above. Those are all three adjectives trying to say the same thing. And then all. Now, all of what? All that we ask. So God can do anything above, exceedingly abundantly above what you ask. There's nothing that you could ask that's outside of the capability of God. Now, he might be wise enough to not do it, right? If I was God, if God gave me everything I wanted, the world would probably blow up in a ball of fire. (laughs) You know, uh, he can't give that much power to any of us. He's got to be God. But he's capable of doing exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or you can ask. But wait a minute. It doesn't stop there. It says, or think. This is our imaginations. Uh, God is exceedingly able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can even imagine. That, you can, that, that your mind can dream up. God is powerful. Now look at the next part of the verse. According to the power that worketh in us. Now we'll get to that in a minute. But all of this exceeding and abundantly above all power, God says is working in you and hopefully through you. We'll get to that in a moment. We see that God is powerful. God's omniscient. That means he knows everything. God's omnipotent. That means he can do it all. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He lives outside of time and space. We have a great, big, powerful God. This is the God of creation. Step outside and look at the trees. Look up at the sky and the blue skies and the white clouds. Look to the mountains in their majesty. Look to the valleys in their beauty. Look to the ocean and, and its expanse. Everywhere you look, you see the majesty and the creative power of God. He's an almighty God. Think about the little nation of Israel, called from nothing and became a nation. And think about the Red Sea parting. 
Think about Joshua and the sun standing still. Think about Jonah and the whale. Think about the virgin birth, the cross of Calvary, the empty tomb. God is powerful. Say, what are you doing, preacher? I'm trying to increase your vision. Take your eyes off yourself and remember who you're serving. God's powerful. Let me say number two. God wants to show His power. Think about that. He wants to show His power. There's a wonderful verse that that really challenged me many years ago when I think about it often. Look back at 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. We won't go into the background story here. Really fascinating stuff, but we're just going to pull this verse out. Certainly applicable to the subject for today. Verse 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Look at this wonderful verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. This is an amazing verse. The Bible says God is actively looking throughout the whole world, trying to find people that he can use to show his power. You and I become platforms of the grace and glory of God. What God does in your life, he's showing his power through your life. God wants to show his power. And sometimes that power is shown through mighty acts. Sometimes that power is shown through incredible situations. Sometimes it's thrown through, shown through amazing wisdom. Sometimes it's shown through terrible trials. But we become the projector screen, if you will, that people are looking at, and God projects His power on us and in us and through us, and people can see the glory of God through us. God's looking for people to show His power through. God wants to show His power. Here's an interesting question. Why is God hidden? What do we mean by that? Why doesn't God just show Himself? I mean, for, for example, why doesn't God just come down right now, stand right here, say, say excuse me, Paul, I'll take this, and uh, I go sit down, and He gets up and starts teaching and preaching. And then He starts healing people, and He'll turn this water into some nice grape juice, And I mean, he's just doing stuff. You think that would increase your faith? Absolutely. So why doesn't God do that? And it's a very important question because this is a question you'll get from unbelievers. Well, if God would just come down and show himself, then I would believe. You see, that the rich man in hell had the same idea. He had the same thought. Look at Luke chapter 16. We won't take time to read the whole story. The rich man is in hell. Lazarus, who was a beggar but a believer, is in paradise. And here in this story, the rich man talking to Abraham. And the rich man asks an interesting question. He's in hell. He doesn't want his family to go to hell. Look at verse 27. Luke 6, 27. Then he said, the rich man said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, that's Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brethren, 
that he, that's Lazarus, may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So this is the rich man in hell. He says, listen, my family are heathens. They're not, they don't believe in, in God. They don't believe in the Messiah. Uh, but if you send Lazarus back from the dead, they know Lazarus. They know he died. If you send him back from the dead, and he says, listen, I was in paradise. Your brother's in hell. And explains to them, they will believe. That was the rich man's thinking. But then look at what Abraham says. Abraham saith to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So Abraham said, no, they have the word of God as a witness. And then the rich man said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one will go unto them from the dead, they will repent. No, they're not going to listen to the Bible. They're not going to listen to preachers. But if someone went to them from the dead, then they would believe. And here's the interesting answer from the Lord. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You say, why doesn't God just come down? There's a lot of reasons, but here's the main reason. God has ordained that everybody in this age must come to him by faith. By faith. And if you see something happen, it's no longer faith, it's knowledge. And if God came to us today, what about all the other people for 2,000 years that had to come to him by faith? That would be unjust. So God has ordained that everybody that comes to him must come to him by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. <coughs> and so we see... God remains sort of hidden in this world physically because all of us must come to him by faith. There's no other way to get saved. And the truth is, if you're not going to believe the Bible and the word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to believe if you saw a vision. You're not going to believe if you saw this or that. You must come by faith. Biblical faith is not blind faith. That's what people will say, you know, well, I don't believe in blind faith. I put my I put my faith in things that I can see and touch and feel. And uh, then I always ask them, hey, you ever been to you ever been to New Zealand? No. How do you know it's there? Well, I saw a picture. How do you know that was a picture of New Zealand? You've never seen it. Well, I had a friend that went there. You believe him? (laughs) You know, there's so many things in life that we take at someone else's word. A matter of fact, an interesting conversation about what a, a famous atheist, <clears throat> and he was talking about all the reasons why he didn't believe in God and he was not a man of faith. But yet, someone asked him a question about physics, and he said, well, I don't know much about that area of physics, so I trust the people who know better. And in the same conversation, he said, well, I, I choose not to believe in God, but I choose to believe the people that, I, that know more about this subject than I do. The truth is, everybody has faith. Every atheist has faith, every agnostic has faith, everybody that's ever born on earth has faith because God made us creatures of faith. You're driving down the road. You trust the other guy to stay on his side of the yellow line. That's amazing faith when you think about it. You know, you got a cement truck barreling down at you, 80,000 pounds, 60 miles an hour. You're driving along not worried. I mean, after all, there's a yellow line between you. 
We live by faith all the time. And so biblical faith isn't blind faith. Biblical faith is based on evidence. It's based on the evidence of creation that we can all see. It's based on the evidence of our own conscience where all of us are born knowing there's a God. It's based on the evidence of seeing God's word play out in the lives of others. And we see the truth of that. Our evidence is based on the cross and the power of redemption and the empty tomb and the testimony of others. But more than anything else, it's based on what I know God did in my heart. God wants to show his power. You see, God's powerful. You believe that? God's powerful. And then we learn number two, God wants to show his power. He's looking for people to show his power through. And you can become a vessel of God's grace and glory. And this is number three. God wants to use you to show his power. What are you doing? I'm trying to increase your vision. Trying to help you see that you're more than just a cog in a wheel. You're more than just a, a cog in the machine. You are somebody special. You're here because God wanted you to be. There's nobody on the planet like you. Thank God there's nobody on the planet. No, I'm kidding. Uh, there's, there's nobody on the planet like you. There's nobody like you. Uh, God made you special. And He put you here to accomplish a special work. If you don't do what God created you to do, it won't get done. There's nobody else to do it. Now we can fill in the gaps, and in God's grace and glory and His power, He fills in the gaps so it might be unnoticeable. Of course, the work of God's going to roll on. But what about the stuff you were meant to do? I got my hands full doing what I'm supposed to do. How can I do what I'm supposed to do and anybody else's? There's people only you can reach. There's things only you can know. There, there's things only you can communicate. You have a world of people that will hear you and listen to you that they won't listen to anybody else. God wants to use you to show His power. God uses His servants to do His work in this world. And can I just remind you, there's no greater joy than to be employed by God to accomplish things eternal. You get eternal things. Do you know that what you're doing here today, you sitting in church right now, this isn't just an hour on your calendar. This isn't just a self-help moment. This time is going to matter forever. It's going to matter forever. What you take with you from this message what you do this afternoon is going to matter forever. What you do at work tomorrow or on vacation tomorrow is going to matter forever. What if you're doing it with the Lord, in the Lord's power? There's no greater joy than to do the work of God. And whenever we see that, when we understand and our vision is increased, and man, God's powerful and He's looking to show His powerful and He wants to use me to do it, that changes me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> Look at these verses by the Apostle Paul fitting there by him. He had a great vision. He had missionary journeys that traveled to multiple continents, taking the gospel far and wide. He wanted to take it further, but God's plan was for him to go to heaven. 
First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? But one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And everyone that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, the gold medal. See, when you, when you really believe that you can win the gold medal, when you really believe that you're a contender, when you really believe you might win the championship, you know, football season just started, and there's, there's some teams that they're just phoning it in this year. I mean, they're just trying to get through the year, looking for a good draft pick, whatever. There's some teams they are thinking, we can win this. We can get to the AFC or NFC championship. I mean, we might be able to make it to the Super Bowl. Those teams, every decision they make right now is based on getting there and doing what they think is available to them. You think about the Olympic people. You know, the Olympians take four years getting ready for the Olympics. Uh, their, their belief that they can medal in the Olympics changes everything. It changes their schedule. It changes their diet. It changes everything. See, their vision affects their daily life. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you know that everybody running a race runs, but only one gets the gold medal. Only one can win. So run that you may obtain. Run like you're going to win the gold medal. Train like you're going to win the gold medal. Live for God like those Olympians live for their earthly means. Verse 25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. That's what it means. He's, he's changing the way he lives so he can win. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, an earthly crown. It's going to be gone. How many of you have trophies? You won trophies in years past, and you don't even know where they are anymore. You know, I mean, yeah, they, they seemed so important at the time. In eternity, they mean nothing. But we're doing it to receive an incorruptible crown. When we increase our vision and we change the way we live, this is going to matter forever. And he says in verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. He said, I'm focused. I've got a vision. I'm, I'm running towards the goal. Philippians chapter 3 says, I press toward the mark. I strive. And here he says, he's striving. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said, the way that I see the world, the things that I think God is making available to me, change the way I live. See, that's the way it should be in Christianity. Christ should change your Monday, and your Tuesday, and your Wednesday, and your Thursday, and your Friday, and your Saturday. Christianity is not just something where you, you put on your nice clothes and go to church for a week and punch in and punch out, and I, I did my time for Jesus. Church isn't like being incarcerated. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to be able to come to church. But then we let God change us every day. Having greater vision changes our priorities, our purpose. It increases our faithfulness, our zeal. You know, some people say, there may be people not here today because they say, it doesn't matter if I go or not. What's the problem? No vision. It doesn't matter if I, it doesn't matter if I read my Bible today. It doesn't matter if I go soloing. It doesn't matter if I, there's no vision. Focused on, focused on today. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's a carnal way of living. That's a lost people's way of living. But we ought to live with our affection on things eternal. Striving for the mastery. 
Greater vision increases our zeal. I'll just read these verses to you. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God wants to use you. God wants to partner with you to change your world, to save people's souls, to create a life and a family that brings Him glory to where other people look at your life and they see God. What a humbling thought. What an amazing opportunity. But most of all, what a glorious God. I'm hoping today that we can increase our vision. Paul was a great man. But God had to stretch his vision to prepare him to reach his potential. And we are no different. We must increase our vision to be used of God. I encourage you. Be faithful. Why? Based on the vision. Have faith. Why? God is powerful. Take the next step in what God wants you to do. I don't know how it's going to work out. I know. I don't know how we're going to pay for that. I know. I don't, I don't know what it all means. What are people going to think? I don't know. But I know that I've, there's never been a time in all the years I've been saved, there's never been a time I look back on my life and I say, boy, I wish I hadn't obeyed God in that area. The truth is there's many times I look back and say, boy, why didn't I just listen to God? There's been many times. I've been saved 26 years now. Been many times I look back over that 26 years and I say, Thank God I listened back then. Ask God to increase your vision today. Amen? Amen. Believe God for the victory. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to <clears throat> work in our hearts. Of course, thank you for salvation, the greatest victory of all. Pray if there's one here today that's not sure they're saved, they could know for sure they're saved. We'd love to take a Bible and show them how they can know. We pray, Lord, for each of us. We're thankful that you saved us, but you have more for us to do than just live for the pleasures of this life. Lord, I ask that you would Increase our vision. And may that increased vision change the way we live. To be more profitable for you. More helpful to the people around us. And Lord, that we would, yes, live this life and be grateful for all the, the things you allow us to experience. But Lord, we're living for things eternal. Increase our vision, we pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. In just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. Uh, People will be standing. Some will be coming forward to pray. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know you're going to heaven. Maybe you've been saved but haven't been baptized. Chat with me about that. We'd love to help you. Christian, you said, boy, preacher, I know I'm saved. Let me challenge you today. Increase your vision. Say, how do I do that? Ask God to increase your vision. Maybe you know what God's wanting you to do and you've been hesitant, you've been resisting. 
but maybe you honestly don't know. Say, Lord, I don't know what you want from me. Then ask God to increase your vision and tell him that you want to be yielded. It's amazing to me what God can do with just the people under the sound of my voice. God could do so many incredible, miraculous things. But we have to believe Him for it. And so God, increase our vision. Let's stand.